Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to a very special episode of Colton Classic Podcast. I am your host, as always, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. Uh, and today we are going to be talking with our wonderful panelists about our favorite Halloween flicks, just in time for the actual holiday. Uh, okay, fine, after the actual holiday by like one smidge. But I don't believe Halloween ends until the Halloween of the following year. It's Halloween all year round here at Colton Classic Podcast. So we're going to get right in there. Okay, so uh, with me, I have longtime uh, panelist Tad Mastroianni. How are you doing, Tad? I am Tad. Who the hell are you? Womp womp. And then I also have longtime contributor Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm here. <laughs> That's, you know what? That's what. That's all I ask is that we arrive, uh, and and then we discuss the flicks on the table. And we've got a bunch here, so I tasked you guys with choosing your favorite Halloween movie. Um, and let's go through it. I am going to. Um, I cheated. I chose two, uh, but we'll talk about why here shortly. Uh, Mandy, what is your favorite Halloween movie? I did not do my homework at all for this, so this is totally <laughs> off the cuff. Um, I would say. Favorite that I look forward to every year is Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm the classic end of this cult and classic continuum. And uh, probably the one that made the biggest impression on me that I like looked forward to coming out in theaters most was H2O, like the Halloween 20th anniversary. Movie, Halloween 20th which I, anniversary. Yeah, which I saw in theaters. So those you are know, my two. The H2O and Resurrection get a bad rap, but they were fun, frankly, kind of goofy movies. They were. And I loved, I loved like just the anticipation of going to see them in the theater and like having it be this thing that was like 20 years, you know, like, like how many movies are really doing that where like there's still the appetite for them 20 no, years later for exactly for um, a big it, open. Ex exactly. And I think we'll, we'll talk about, we'll talk about, uh, <laughs> about, about this because uh, I'll, I'll talk at Halloween in my section as well. Um, but you mentioned, of course, Nightmare Before Christmas. That was always one of my favorites as well. And I always try and think, is it a Christmas movie or is it a Halloween movie? Or is it better as both? Um, it's, I don't know. I really don't. Um, I will say that just before I forget, the uh, Henry Selleck, who of course directed uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, is his new movie is 
finally being announced and getting some press. It's Wendell in the Wild, um, two demon brothers face off against a nun and a pair of goths. And uh, it's got uh, Key and Peel in it. And I'm really excited. I think it's going to be fantastic. I, I love- That sounds great. I love all he does. Sorry if the sound was a little wonky for a minute. But yeah, so Nightmare Before Christmas. This is often considered a Tim Burton movie because he produced it and it's based off of a lot of his drawings and things like that. It is a Tim Burton film, but he did not actually direct it, which is something most people don't know, I think, frankly, because Tim Burton's name is on it. Um, but Henry Selleck, he did, I think he also did James and the Giant Peach for Disney. Um, he's done a lot of... I've also watched that one this month. And I, I, I so of good. course... Listeners to this, longtime listeners to this pod know that I'm obsessed with puppets. I'm also obsessed with stop motion animation, animatronics, the whole deal. Uh, I, I, I love it. It's, it's my thing, my, my personal in my heart thing. And so these movies were super important to me also and something I watched all the time. And my first job out of high school was of course, Hot Topic. Uh, yeah, I was that kid. Um, and they incessantly played the Nightmare on Elm Street soundtrack. Uh, all through October and into no November. Uh, and also that one where they had a bunch of uh, quote unquote edgy artists cover it. There's some good covers on there, but you know, you also got some not so good ones, in my opinion, whatever. Any who's it's, um, okay, I see that. So anyway, I love musicals just in mm -hmm. general. So it kind of pushes that button for me. Uh, songs are very singable, just like humming them, singing around wherever mm -hmm. you're doing they are. throughout your day um probably why they were playing in hot topic like nonstop. true uh, <laughs> and i mean it's like spooky but it's like fun spooky and like my kid approves he's only three so he's like yeah i want to watch the halloween movie so it's all good it's it's so there's a lot to talk about with Nightmare Before Christmas, because um, Disney actually wanted to do a sequel um, all the way back in 2001. And I think we all wanted a sequel, but they didn't want to use stop motion animation. They wanted what? to use they wanted to use CGI and Tim Burton. Ugh. Tim Burton said no. You can't uh, do that. I, I agree. Uh, and they and the only really the options were sort of like that they were tossing around were things like, oh, Jack goes to Thanksgiving. Jack, and these they just don't it's it feels wrong it feels pandering it feels wrong um it and i agree uh and i'd like to see santa happen. do halloween i'd love to see like the reverse or like the alternate timeline or something you know i don't know like i feel like there's something there versus a different holiday I think I think backstory. I, I think the, the closest thing anyone got to a sequel was Kingdom Hearts. I think that was it. And that's okay. And well, and there actually is a PlayStation Two video game sequel, uh, Oogie Boogie's Revenge, which is actually kind of fun. And we can we can thank those kind of side things with the fact that Japan has is far more obsessed with Nightmare on Elm Street than we are. Um, if you look Nightmare online, on Elm Street or Nightmare Before Christmas? I mean, sorry, Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas. They like that one too. Uh, yeah. Probably has to do with the giant human tongue invading people thing. Uh, but yeah, so uh, seriously, Nightmare uh, Before Christmas is like very popular in Japan. And that has led to some amazing collectibles and um, late in the game, video game sequels and spinoffs, uh, all sorts of things like that. So if you are a big Nightmare Before Christmas fan and you've never checked those out, check them out. Um, so 
there's lots of things. So Tim Burton, this was he can has said that he considers this his like baby. Like so, although he didn't direct it, everything it it's no one can argue that it doesn't scream Tim Burton's aesthetic, his preferences and character design. You know, it's based off his artwork. He wrote it, it, all sorts of stuff. Um, but there was a there was a lot of pitch meetings, I guess, uh, with Disney, and he would get really upset. Apparently, uh, supposedly he even kicked a kicked a hole in a wall at one point. Um, but things that he didn't like is like they wanted Oogie Boogie, the insect filled sack creature uh, that that takes Santa Claus from Jack and is sort of the villain of the film. Uh, they wanted him to be Doctor Finkelstein in disguise, uh, the who is the creator of Sally, the love interest, the sewn together zombie doll love interest, and um, it just. You just wonder it could have been a very different movie and uh and i think you can tell that it's sort of a labor of love um because not only danny elfman of course did the music and he also was jack skellington's singing voice and so between him the, the two most important elements the visuals and like the narrative and the music uh, were made by two people who not only worked together extensively Tim Burton and, and Danny Elfman, but who also had a particular passion for this story and this this product. So I think that really came out. Um, H2O, I believe, is one of the films that is actually the film in the Halloween franchise that Jamie Lee Curtis said uh, she it was an absolute just a paycheck, but it was a really <laughs> fun paycheck. Um, so I, I, you know, and I think that actually is really descriptive of the movie in general. Uh, it was that special kind of 2000s horror revival where you had to have like, you had to have like some singer or hip hop artist in there. You had to have like, you know, you had to have uh, someone from the original series coming back. And then you had to have like the big like, come get it uh, ending. And, and it just, it hit all the points. Um, Nathan, remember when Tyrese was rumored to be Luke Cage back in the early 2000s? I do, and it would have been great. It uh, would have been. It, it, it would have never happened, though. No, we need, like, we need, I don't know. I, don't, I was thinking, I'm like, yeah, I, could, I, I remember Tyrese, and I remember, like, John Singleton's going to make it. I'm like, ah, don't think that. It's um, not happening. <laughs> Tarantino uh, wanted to do a Luke Cage film for a long time uh, as well. Anyway, okay, I like those. I like those choices. I'll go to mine next um, because it sort of segues in there. Uh, I chose two. I chose one uh, that's family friendly and one that's not family friendly, unless you're in a strange family. Um, of course, my pick for the not family friendly one is the original 1978 Halloween. I adore Halloween. Um, it's certainly the the best. Uh, to me, I think it's the best film um, that, that Carpenter ever made. Um, and that's that's saying something because he did make some fantastic movies. He, of course, made the Thing uh, remake, which was very good. Um, but you know, he and Deborah Hill working together on the script for this, and then you have Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis, you have Jamie Lee Curtis very early in her career. It was the origin of the not schlocky slasher film, right? The, 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 the voiceless stalker uh, genre was created by Halloween, even though there were, of course, um, serial killer movies before this. This is the one that I think we all think of and all of the tropes that became famous were popularized or originated in Halloween. The turn around, he's not there, turn around, he's there. The um, he's just looking at us, what is he doing? Who is that guy? Uh, the fact that 
you do not know why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, of course, the plot being that a, 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 a six-year-old boy um, just one day on Halloween uh, walks upstairs with a knife and, and brutally murders his sister and then is put in an insane asylum and his doctor is convinced that he is the embodiment of evil and that should never be released. And of course he gets out and he returns to his childhood home and terrorizes uh, the babysitter and the person there that's being babysat. I'm gonna say this also, I actually, this is controversially a brave of me, um, but everyone agrees that, uh, who are fans, that 2018's Halloween um, is a very good sequel. Uh, and it, it retcons all of the other sequels to the film, even though the original Halloween 2 is pretty decent, uh, and so is 4. Uh, I disagree with everyone about 5. It's a terrible film, and I could tell you, I could tell you a book why it's wrong, uh, why it was production's fault. Anyway, uh, but so Halloween 2018 was very good, and of course, Halloween Kills uh, 2021, which is still in theaters right now as we're recording this, is very divisive. Uh, very interesting. I actually think it's quite a good film. Uh, it had the impossible task of trying to bring some sort of even if momentary conclusion to the series uh and some sort of logic to something that has been avoided being explained for decades at this point um but there's some really excellent scenes in it and it is uh it was bold it was a bold choice and i think you can get philosophical and really grab on to a lot of the decisions they made while uh i think you could argue otherwise uh, as well. The people that absolutely hate Halloween Kills seem to mostly not like the fact that it seemed that it worked in some contemporary climates of, of politics and social justice in our country. And to me, that tells me that you really are probably not in the right headspace uh, to watch a movie about a serial killer. Uh, maybe you should stick to something else then because I don't like where it's going. Um, but uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the film and you do want to see the film, you want to skip ahead about 30 seconds. The best scene in Halloween Kills is the scene where uh, the, a, a mental patient who was released when accidentally, when Michael Myers escapes in Halloween 2018, uh, is chased down by mob mentality, screaming evil uh, dies tonight, which people are saying is overused in the movie. That's, that could be debated for sure. Uh, but they chase him and he ends up committing suicide by jumping uh, out of a window in the hospital. And of course, he's an innocent victim. The idea being that what you think is going to be sort of the town fighting back and regaining its safety and its humanity and its strength by fighting together as one against Michael Myers actually reveals that humans are mindless mob zombie animals that can cause mass destruction uh, when they choose a scapegoat. Uh, and so I think that the idea of that really rubbed a lot of people who were expecting to go see a movie where a guy kills other people, uh, and that really upset them. And uh, like, yeah, I mean, like I'd have trouble suspending my disbelief on that one as well. Well, saying <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of those. It's one of those things. Really. It's one of those, real. Yeah, it, it's exactly. It's very real, and yeah. it it spoke to a lot of our really tough political climate right now. Uh, and so I think that that sat wrong with a lot of people um, and and other people who maybe aren't, I'm just going to say it, who aren't like uh, Trump supporters or people who believe, you know, who, even if they don't believe in some sort of mob justice, um, they didn't want to see it because they wanted an escapism. And instead, they got slapped in the face with a really uncomfortable reality in the middle of this movie. But sorry, that's really good. Go watch, you know, 
sallow 120 nights of sodom uh it's gonna hurt um anyway i love halloween 1978 it's a fantastic film of course, of course seen all of them and uh i agree that there is something special about the franchise that has caused it to continue on for so many years where so many others have dropped off um last thing i'll say about it is I just, this is such a, this is so well known. Uh, but for those of you who don't know, who aren't Halloween film fans, um, it is still pretty great that the original Halloween mask is a spray painted inside out, uh, debated whether it's inside or not, a William Shatner mask, just a spray painted. I mean, that's, that's really great. I mean, or even if it was latex paint, it doesn't matter. Uh, William Shatner was apparently in disbelief when that occurred. He's like, why would they do, they can't be real, but you know, apparently it is. Uh, anyway, love it. You is there also another Halloween coming out next year? There is. I don't. I don't know if it's going to end up being done by next year. But yes, it's called uh, Halloween Ends, and it is. Um, people are already fighting against it. Those who didn't like Halloween Kills, and some others as well, because the film is going to, in some way, acknowledge or be during quarantine, and it's going to, and it's going to have COVID in the real world. Now, I kind, I understand the decision because one it gives them an opportunity to use a new device. It's a new set of uh, guidelines for the characters in the film. Um, I get that totally. And also the timeline of the movie makes sense. Uh, it's supposed to be relatively contemporary. So if you're moving into contemporary time, it's still weird to me to watch TV series where they are pretending nothing has happened in the past year that it's caused a change. I know why, none of us wanna think about it. None of us wanna do anything with it. We're tired of it. It's painful, it's frustrating. It's still going on. Thanks, Florida, thanks, Texas. But um, it is it is what it is. And I respect that decision. But again, I also liked Halloween Kills, so eh, sue me. All right, my next film, I will go on real quick, is uh, family friendly. It is, it's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. This is, I love the Peanuts, um, which by the way, was not a name that Charles Schultz, creator of uh, Charlie Brown and the Gang liked. Uh, that was given by the editor because he couldn't come up with a name and they gave it to him. And uh, I know why, it doesn't make any sense. Calling children Peanuts is stupid and uh, I don't like it. And neither did Charles Schultz. That's why later on in his life, it was in papers as Charlie Brown and the Peanuts Gang uh, or the Peanuts Gang, at least it's a little better. But It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown is a classic American animated film from 1966. It's short, it's a TV movie that's only 25 minutes long. Um, and the plot is, if, who doesn't know Charlie Brown? But if you don't, um, it's just a bunch of kids in a normal suburban country-ish neighborhood. And, um, but they all talk kind of like little adults. Uh, Charlie Brown is kind of a dud. He seems to not have great luck. Linus is the younger brother of the um, very snarky, very assertive, quote unquote, bossy uh, Lucy character. Uh, and Linus convinces Charlie Brown's little sister that who has a crush on him to go wait in the pumpkin patch at night for the great pumpkin, who he believes is a deity that comes uh, and, and grants them, uh, I think, gifts, right? Uh, you'd think I'd know, but that's not really the point. In the, in the pumpkin patch on Halloween night. Um, of course, they wait and nothing comes. And uh, it's just a delightful movie. I, I absolutely love it. There's so much to talk about with this film. This film has been cut a million times to fit a million different time slots. They usually cut two scenes uh, in the history of this film. 
when they cut, they cut scenes where they go trick or treating and everybody gets candy, but Charlie Brown keeps getting rocks, which is sad because that's one of my favorite parts, even though it is a sad, sad thought. They also cut uh, where Lucy, the famous scene where Lucy uh, moves the football out from Charlie Brown. So he misses it and falls on his back, which is a famous scene from the comic strips and has been in so many things. They cut those often. And I think that's utterly ridiculous, but what are you gonna do? So the film did get nominated for uh, a bunch of primetime Emmys at the time. It's very, you can see it on Apple TV right now. It's all over the place. It's been all over the place. Um, now, apparently, supposedly, there's so much neat little trivia because it's been out for, you know, almost 60 years. Um, apparently, when the special came out, kids wanted to send Charlie Brown candy, so they sent it to the station. I don't know if that's true or not, um, but it, it is cute to think. Um, the, the thing about, I'm, I'm stumbling because I have so much personal history with the story. I love it. Um, but one of the cool things that they continued on with the uh, Charlie Browns and Peanuts cartoon series and, and uh, TV episodes and direct video episodes all the way up until contemporary times is that they have actual children do the lines. Children actually um, do the voices for the characters in this, which really gives it a special flavor. Um, you of course have music in the, in the series by uh, great jazz musicians, Vince Graldi and his trio and so forth. But it's, it's that child, the children's voices delivering these lines that really cements the special vibe uh, when it goes into your ears, you know, it's not, um, everything else is done by adults pretty much. Um, sometimes when we get feature films, we'll get adults, uh, doing lines uh, or we'll get children doing lines as like the lead or something. But even if they have a friend, uh, the friend is usually an adult because the idea being that kids don't have the emotive range, uh, that adults do, but that's also part of kids, right? So if you're portraying kids who are also notoriously difficult to, to work with because they're children, um, you you get a different a different vibe and a different feel and i think that that's something really special and they agree that it's really special and that's why it's been kept consistent all these years uh, i will also say that the the other thing i'm stumbling because i'm looking through my notes which are way too way too long um the other scene that was cut also is uh Schroeder playing World War I music and, and Snoopy dancing around and doing his Snoopy thing. Um, I don't know if that was cut for a reason. There's all sorts of rumors floating around why they cut, which scenes they cut. Of course, the easiest explanation being, well, you can cut all those three different scenes that I mentioned without affecting the plot, but you could cut almost any scene except for any in the, in the Great Pumpkin Patch, and even some of those you could cut. It's, it's like a bunch of vignettes running at the same time. It's not really an overarching narrative except for, um, Linus waiting for the great pumpkin. So any who's it's, uh, that's my pair of treats. And yes, I'm an adult and I still watch the It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown every year. So bite me. Okay. I don't think you're alone. No, I'm not. <laughs> and the, the numbers don't lie. And I, I thank you all out there. Uh, in fact, frankly, it's probably adults watching it now <laughs> instead of kids. They have many other things they like to watch. Uh, uh, like YouTube unboxing videos. That's great Halloween stuff. Okay, Tad, <laughs> what is your pick for favorite Halloween flick? 
Mine is 1993's The Halloween Tree, which is based off a Rad- Ray Bradbury book. Um, it was one of my favorite things to watch when I was a kid. I actually was fortunate enough to be of an age when this premiered on TV and I got to watch it when it was new. Um, and it, I don't know a lot of people that talk about it, despite the fact that I think a lot of people my age watched it and maybe didn't just didn't think much of it afterwards, but it really stuck with me even today. Uh, you know, a, a basic story, and I understand it deviates from the book a little bit just because it was a, they had to shorten it up for TV, but yeah. the original book had eight kids, but this is basically a story of four kids who are just trying to go trick-or-treat, and one of their kid, one of their friends actually falls fairly deathly ill, and they spend the entire night of Halloween um, with a uh, one uh, uh, voiceover by Leonard Nimoy of uh, Mr. Of Mr. Moundshroud, a vampire-looking dude who takes them through time and teaches them what Halloween, what the meaning of Halloween is through the ages, through different cultures. Which, unfortunately, the the this doesn't really touch long enough on on the history of it, but it, it kind of hits the the high points, especially you know through Mexico and Egypt and all that of what what you know your relationship with death means throughout throughout human history and uh it's in in at times especially in the early 90s they they got pretty brave with a lot of specials i'm always i'm always forever traumatized by the uh the anti-drug psa the long one nathan instantly knows yeah the one where it was the combined efforts of like the ninja turtles and Garfield, Muppets, and Garfield to, to yeah. get this kid off drugs, and it was a frightening. And thing we will absolutely it. cover that uh, at some point Ooh. because it is truly unknown. Also, the the just to throw it out there, the PSA that always drove like freaked me out was the Tiny Toons one. I don't know if you guys remember that Tiny Toons, of course, the Steven Spielberg produced um, Looney Tunes, where they're they're children in the Looney Tunes world. So it's um, uh, Buster and Babs, Bunny, uh, Elvira, the. The, the young girl who doesn't know her own strength when it comes to petting animals, um, all that stuff. Their drug PSA one is equally bonkers. I, I'm going to say that because they end up, um, I think Buster, Plucky Duck, and um, I, I feel bad. What's what's the pig's name? I forget. Um, Ham? I can't remember. Uh, anyway, he, uh, <laughs> all, I, th- I believe all three of them, all three of them find beers, get drunk, steal a car and joyride and wreck and die. And their spirits go up and talk about how terrible it is. Um, it is. It's one of those things where I don't think any. I don't think anybody who's Gen Z possibly has anything like this, where it was assumed that it was appropriate for tele, either family or kids TV shows to have one wild batshit one-off episode that's totally different than all the others that has insane horrible consequences. Um, and that would be like their PSA, like that's educational, like scarring children is educational. And we don't do that anymore so much, um, uh, unless you're Christian and do like a hell house or something. And <laughs> I, I don't, I don't get it. Um, like even Family Matters, they had that episode that ends with like, uh, everything seems like it's going to be okay. And then the character that was sort of on the skids, like, like, 
a character runs in and it's like, he's dead, he's dead, he got shot, they wanted his shoes. And then they all just look at each other mournfully and that's it, that's roll credits. And you're just like, cool, love it. I am so depressed. Thanks, it's 4.30 and I'm gonna go to bed. Um, Next episode. Right, but uh, <laughs> Halloween Tree, I believe Halloween Tree premiered on Cartoon Network. Am I correct in that? It was a Hanna-Barbera production. It, so. it did much later, but uh, I think it was ABC back in 1993. I could be mistaken, but um, it's uh, at the time, the it, it the visuals always struck with me because you know it does really like it's it's a it's a literal tree full of jack o' lanterns and it gets freaky at some points because Pip, who is the kid who's dying essentially and they're trying to save, uh, keeps manifesting as different things. Like he manifests as a jack o' lantern, which is creepy enough, but he also at some point manifests as a gargoyle. Um, and it turns out that um, as, as, uh, as it was pointed out, he can only speak when the rain comes out of his mouth. So, and the, or the wind blows over his teeth. And that's, that's a frightening concept is basically to be turned to stone and you literally cannot speak unless the weather permits you to do so. And Pip is, Pip is basically just drifting halfway through the afterlife throughout the entire show. And these kids are chasing him down and trying to, you know, figure out how to essentially pull him back from the brink of death. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole story ends with, obviously they learn the lesson and uh, they just really, really wish real hard for him to come back and he pulls through. But uh, it's it's still a great story because it's it's family friendly. It's a little bit spooky for young kids, but as an adult, it's still something I enjoy. I actually sat down and watched it with my wife about a month ago and because I knew we were going to talk about something Halloween related. And I wanted to be prepared <laughs> because this is my favorite one. And, uh, and, it's a, and the close second is, you son of a bitch, Nate, you stole it. Uh, uh, great pumpkin charlie brown great that's pumpkin my charlie second brown. favorite it's but so good and i and they i think go great together they do and of course you can't mention the halloween tree without mentioning the cast um great voice acting but the two that are particular is the narrator is ray bradbury himself and uh mr mountshroud is leonard nimoy so um i mean you can't go wrong with that kind of talent um something interesting that I found when I was looking up this film in preparation of this that I didn't know is the director of it is uh, Mario Peluso and Mario Peluso did and is still working I believe well, maybe he's not he was working up until the, the 2010s but um, he's directed a few things um, but he's been a storyboard artist and in the arts department for just about every iconic cartoon series of the millennial generation and even a little before. Um, he worked as a storyboard artist on the New Adventures of Batman, the 70s, the late 70s series, um, The Challenge of the Super Friends and Plastic Man, those uh, like post, those late Super Friends ones. Um, worked on Thundar the Barbarian, uh, the, the 80s Spider-Man cartoon, which we get some really great um, uh, memes from as well um the original gi joe miniseries and then gi joe uh he worked on the film which we will absolutely cover in this podcast down there at star chaser the legend of odin gem of the holograms the original my little pony the original of course teenage mutant Ninja turtles denver the last dinosaur captain planet and the planeteers conan the barbarian from 92 um and he worked on scooby-doo and zombie island which we've talked about on this podcast and we'll continue to do so <laughs> i mean really his absolutely incredible talent um has worked on some of the best series that have ever graced our television scenes particularly and as well as some movies but i think the tv stuff is really 
uh, important to, to highlight. And so um, I think it's actually a little unfortunate he didn't direct more uh, overall, like the entire projects, but he did do a lot of story directing and art direction. So you can see uh, Mario Pelosi's uh, hands on all of these great projects. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Is that That's going to give you enough to keep Halloween going into November. Uh, and uh, maybe when uh, Christmas rolls around, we'll have a Thanksgiving special for you. Uh, I'm just kidding. We'll be much more on time going forward, but I wanted to thank all of you listeners as always for supporting Colton Classic Podcast. Let us know how we're doing. Send us an email at coltonclassicpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send us a DM on Instagram at Colton Classic Podcast or facebook.com slash Colton Classic Podcast. And please, please, please write a review wherever you get your podcasts uh, and tell your friends. I mean, those are the two ways that people find us. And we've grown and it's been wonderful. And it's because of you as listeners. I absolutely uh, am grateful for you guys and uh, have a happy holiday season, whatever your preferred holidays are. And you know, to play us out as always is the Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.